0: Well, each Sunday morning we talk about across the street and around the world, and we're going to hear from Greg here in just a minute uh, about across the street, a ministry that we partner with, Inspiration Point Bible Camp. But around the world, uh, we're thinking of our of our pastor, Pastor Brian Quaid. He's in Chad, and he sent me this picture and this email yesterday. I wanted to share it with you, uh, Pastor Brian and his son Kip, who's a junior and at North. Um, are in uh, Chad, visiting our friend, their, his daughter, Kami uh, Quaid. Pastor Brian wrote this on uh, Saturday morning. He said, we had the opportunity to stop in Jamino Buso on our way to Doe to visit the school there. There are about seven different people group represented amongst the students with a large number of Benge Fulbe. We met the president of the, well, the Parents' Association who's very excited about the school, and has two children enrolled. They have two excellent teachers and have divided, get this, a hundred kindergarten students in two classes. <laughs> and all God's people went, oof-da. That is so great. They are doing great with French and with math. This picture is one of the classrooms. Our Advent Conspiracy Funds will help with the development and ministry of this, of this school. We had a wonderful time in Doe. We have had a wonderful time in Doe so far. The Rose family are adjusting well and they are so thankful for their support from Bethesda. The Narvisons, too are ministering effectively and they are very well respected. Kami has adjusted well and the kids are super excited to have them here. Thanks for your prayers during our times. We have had good conversations in the village. Also, we met the two young men who were recently baptized. They have moved away from the village for work and some anonymity. Please pray for them as they continue to grow in their faith and that they would find community with other believers. Please also pray for a couple to be called to work at the Welcome Center in the capital city. So continue to pray for Pastor Brian. Isn't that a great word? Well, it's an absolute thrill to welcome uh, Greg Anderson to our pulpit this morning. Uh, Greg, has, Greg and his wife, Janet, have uh, spearheaded the ministry at Inspiration Point for 34 years. Um, I get excited about it because I've seen literally hundreds if not thousands of teenagers being impacted by the gospel at this place called Inspiration Point. And it's affected our own children as well too. So, uh, will you welcome uh, Greg as he comes to the pulpit. Let's give him a warm welcome and look we'll Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you for this faithful
1: servant
0: who you are using in powerful ways. Thank you that we get to partner with Inspiration Point. Thank you that our children and our family and our teenagers and our young adults are being impacted by this ministry. And only heaven will know how you used it in a powerful way. So come be with us. Once again, we pray that what you said in the book of Revelation, may the Spirit give us the ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning uh, to you. I'm delighted to be here with you. I was look forward to being at uh, Bethesda. It's good to be back. And um, I'm excited to open up God's Word uh, with you this morning. People have already talked about Inspiration Point. I just, I have to tell you that... Uh, The the testimonies of people who look back on their time at camp as significant, uh, uh, they're numerous. They're numerous. Two weeks ago, the phone rang in my office. It was a young man who's about 26 years old now. His name's Garung. He emigrated to uh, live in the Fargo area. He went to camp for about four years, and he called... To tell me, he said, uh, I want you to know, looking back at Eye Point provided the best days of my life. It was there I learned that I wanted to build my whole life on Christ. You need to know that, he said. Parents are recognizing it too. Um, 88% of them last summer said they saw evidence of spiritual growth in their kids. And one mom said, it's hard dropping your kid off, but what they learn and how they grow in faith is so important and it can't be duplicated in our everyday lives. I want you to know that, uh, yes, we have a host of things happening this summer. We have some exciting developments, too. We have a brand new pool that's being uh, built right now with a big water slide and splash pad. We're looking forward to that this summer. And uh, uh, also have some more cabins. We're building two cabins right now, which will provide space for another 200 kids to come to camp this summer. We ran out of space again last year. We keep building so that there's more room, that there's adequate, adequate space. Would love to see, uh, see you at camp this summer somehow, and I'd love to visit with you more about that uh, outside. Our summer staff are going to arrive uh, at camp on Memorial Day, and they will be gathering. By the way, if you know young people who love Jesus and love people, we, we need staff this summer. As more and more kids come, one of the factors that holds us back is we don't, if we don't have enough staff. Who do you know? You know people like Easton who is up here, son of your congregation? Who do you know? Who can you point uh, to camp? Our staff will be showing up. They'll be, uh, I think there's going to be, I don't know, 90, something like that this summer. Be showing up on Memorial Day. They'll go through two weeks of training, and then they'll be a part of 10 weeks of ministry while they're there, in in an atmosphere where God is at the center, where they develop deep friendships, where they're mentored and encouraged regularly, and where they get to see daily the fruits of their labor. And then the time comes for them to go home. And a question always arises to the front of their minds. It's the same thing every year. It's always been the same. Do you want to know what the question is? Here, Here it is. How do I keep living the way I lived at camp? How how do I take what I've experienced every day in this wonderful place, and now how do I take it beyond here when I go back to school, when I go back to my family, when I go back to my workplace, when I go back to my neighborhood? How do I do that? How do I keep the fire burning that was burning so hot at camp? How How does that continue? That's the question. In fact, if we're honest, that's the question that you and I often and ask as well. I hope. When you walk out of the doors this morning, I hope it's on your mind. How do I continue this now, Monday through Saturday? What difference will this make as I go into my workplace, as I, as I talk with my kids, my grandkids? How do I keep that going? Are you curious? Paul had something to say about this. And the text that I've chosen this morning, incidentally, I wrote this two weeks ago. It was 15 degrees below zero. And I thought, here's a clever title for Minnesota in the wintertime, Staying Warm in a Cold World, or whatever I wrote down. Uh, it, yeah, staying warm in a cold world. I, I could not have missed by more. Uh, I realize that doesn't connect with you now. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Isn't this glorious weather? What a gift it is. We need snow at camp for our activities, but just right there. It was. Uh, I got to travel here yesterday, and I, no worry about the roads or anything like that. Anyway, uh, Romans 13 is the text I'm going to read uh, to you this morning. If you have Bibles, I, I encourage you to turn there with me. Romans 13, beginning at verse 8. He says, O no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Besides this, you know the time I'd like to pray and then make three observations about that. Gracious God, uh, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for calling us here. Our prayer, Lord, would be that what we know not, you would teach us. What we have not, would you give us. And what we, we are not, would you make us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. About a year or two ago, there was a lot of buzz around our nation about a, a topic. It was, a, it, was a, it was politically hot. Uh, there was a lot of talk going on about eliminating student debt. Remember that? Remember that? And, and people were uh, eh, rightly so divided about that. We had all these folks that had accumulated student debt and they were thinking, that would be awesome. You mean all the debt that I have, it would just be wiped away? That would be fantastic. I I get that. And then there are all kinds of people that that were thinking like, I paid off my debt. Why should I have to pay off your debt? And so you're all smiling now. Some of you are not. You're Okay. No, I'm done. I'm done talking about, about that. I don't want to get anybody riled up this morning. But listen, I, who, who doesn't like having debt erased? Wouldn't that be fantastic? I mean, some students are coming out of college with, uh, you know, th- the average student debt is like $30,000, and I've known people to come out with eighty or $90,000 uh, in, in debt and so forth. Yeah, that'd be, that would be wonderful. I, I, I get that. I mean, it just uh, it would make a tremendous uh, difference in the, in their life. But we can all agree on one thing this morning. Debt can be a burden. Yes? Yes. Debt can be a burden. In the scripture that I just read, Paul writes about a debt that we all carry. You and I, are each one of us carries a debt, and it is on us. It is on our shoulders, and it's not the debt that's caused by our sin. That debt was paid in full. That's not what I'm talking about. When Jesus hung on the cross, and he said, it is finished, to tell he said, that debt has been paid. That's a, the Greek word is a, is a word used in commerce. When you, you have a, a scale here and something costs this much, it has been paid. It is, it is balanced out. It is gone. That's not the debt Paul is talking about here. The debt that we all owe can never be paid in full. You carry it the rest of your life. You owe it always. It's ongoing. It, it is ongoing. Here's what he says. Owe no one anything except to love one another. The ancient writer Origen said, said it like this. Let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love. A debt you should always be attempting to discharge in full, but you'll never succeed in fully repaying. How do we keep it, how do we keep what we know, how do we keep what we're living going as we go from here? One way is, is this, to recognize that we carry a debt to love one another. Why? Jesus said it like this, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love each other. Just as I've loved you, you're also to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. When, when we love each other, Jesus said, People's eyes are lifted to the Father. They see that. That's why it's so important. Paul wrote to the Galatians like this. He said, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do it? If you look back to chapter 12, Paul had already given some instructions as to how we love. He says things like this. uh, Do it with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. That's how we love one another. The question is, I, I... I would guess is on your mind. It was on my mind when I read this. The the question is this. Okay. Who's the one another? The young teacher who came to Jesus asked that question. He said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told him the story of the Good Samaritan. The point of the story being this, that the Good Samaritan was the one who happened to be nearby. Our neighbor is the one who's, locate, who's near us. The good Samaritan wasn't, wasn't helping, wasn't showing love because he aligned religiously with the person he was helping. It wasn't because their political beliefs lined up. They were in, of one accord. No, it's because this person was nearby. People are everywhere who need to know the love of Christ. A friend of mine named Ray Seaver passed away a number of years ago. I spent a year with Ray Seaver in 1997. He took some time to mentor me, and we traveled around quite a bit together. And I remember him telling me a story. When he was growing up, he and his friend Tony Thralldahl would go to the, the country club golf course at night when it was just about ready to close, and they would each bring their club and they would hop on the course, and they'd have a, a ball they would play. They'd play, they'd play together, They'd, they'd play together. and one night as they were playing the course, the sun was going down. One of them struck the ball, and it went into the, the pond, the water hazard. I know the feeling. Except, except this. They, now they were without a ball. Their, their fun was over. So they decided, like, we got to get that ball back. So the two, they did rock, paper, scissors to see who would have to go into the pond to retrieve the ball. Tony lost. Stripped down to his shorts. On the count of three, waded into the pond. Waist deep. Took a deep breath. Under he went. Ray stood on the shore, dry. Waiting to see if Tony could find the golf ball. And he waited and he waited and he waited. And Tony didn't come up. Ray got nervous. Tony still wasn't up. Ray started taking off his shoes and socks. All of a sudden, Tony popped up out of the water, threw his head back to get the water out of his face. Ray said, Did you find the golf ball? Tony raised both hands and said, The whole pond's full of golf balls. (laughs) They're everywhere. Who do we love, folks? Who are we called to love? People. They're everywhere, and they need to know what Christ has done for us. They need to know that God has said, I love you. You are mine. I've taken care of the the payment to bring you into relationship with me. And in me, you have hope. You have a future. You have purpose. They're everywhere, folks. And Paul says, you remember that. And that keeps the fire burning. The second thing he talks about has to do with with waking up. Some of you are really good sleepers. My wife is a pro-sleeper. When Janet's head touches something, it's 50-50 that she'll be out in seconds. Like she'll say, hey, Greg, want to watch a movie tonight? And I'll say, yes. And if her head goes back and touches the cushion of the couch, it's over. (laughs) It's over. But the remarkable thing is, I will nudge her, like during a good part, and I'll say, did you see that? And she'll say, oh, I heard it. I, I was listening. I'm like, you were asleep. <laughs> she said, I, I could hear every word. We need to we need to wake up, Paul says, because here's the problem. When we're sleeping, there are people that can go through life asleep and still hear. There are people that can go through life and and... and, and, and Asleep and walk around. Did you know that? It's possible to sleepwalk through life. Some people even talk in their sleep. I think Paul is thinking this. Some of you are doing that. I think he's saying that to his readers. Some of you are doing that. You're walking around. You're hearing stuff. You're saying stuff. You're going places. You need to wake up. You need, you need to wake up. He says, you know what time it is, wake from your sleep, salvation's near. James 5.8 says it like this, establish your hearts, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Friends, Jesus is gonna come back, and it's soon. We don't know when, but a lot of times in my life, I've thought of like, Jesus' return is like, it's out, it's coming. I can't see, it's out there somewhere. But what if that's the wrong picture? What if Jesus' return is not a point in the distance What if it's more like this? I'm walking along a ledge, parallel with Jesus' return. His return is right here. And at any moment, he's going to step over that line. I love to hike. I hate heights. When I'm on a ledge, friends, I, I pay close attention. Paul's saying, wake up. Wake up, you're closer than you think. Set your minds on heaven. He says This isn't the time to go to sleep. Paul wrote in chapter 12, he said, he said this. He talked to, to believers about taking on a whole new way of living, presenting bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're called to remember what God has done for us and then live accordingly. That's what waking up looks like. It's setting our mind on things above, setting our mind on, uh, on heaven, actually. First Peter 1.13 says, preparing your minds for action, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, like, the more you think about heaven and what's important and what's there, it's going to impact your, your life here. It's so easy to get caught up in this, in, in this world and, and things like bucket lists and so forth. I get that. I was just talking to Pastor Kirk this morning about I, I hope to be able to make it to the Baseball Hall of Fame this year. That would be a dream for me. But if my life ends and I don't get there, that's okay. Because I don't think the scene in heaven is going to be people standing around talking about Cooperstown, New York. I don't think people are going to be in heaven saying, I'm so glad I got to go to that Billy Joel concert. Or did you see the Grand Canyon? That's not what heaven is going to be like. As I get older, more people that have been important to me have passed away, and I know they're in heaven right now. And I'm pretty sure the scene in heaven is going to be more like this. Jesus, thank you. What you said you were going to do, you did that. Oh, everything you said came true, and now here I am, and and this is what what matters. Thank you for doing what you said. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for for coming to our world. Jesus, you reign. That's the scene in heaven, and the more I think about that, the more it impacts me here. It helps me make decisions. It helps me wake up. Do you see? Do you see? When our daughters were ten and five, Janet and I thought it would be a fun time to take them to Disney World. Don't judge. So, uh, (laughs) we thought it'd be fun to take them to Disney World, and so we saved our money because it was going to cost a lot. And we put we put little ornaments on the Christmas tree. There were park hopper passes. We opened our gifts one Christmas, and I and we said, "Oh, but we're not done yet." There are a couple things hanging on the tree. Kara found it first, and she said, are we going to Disney? Dad, are we going to Disney? And I said, yeah, we're going to Disney. When are we going? I said, in April. They said, that's four months from now. I said, yep, but we're going. They couldn't wait to go. And you know what? Many times during those four months, things like this would happen. Elise would say, Dad, can I get a new pair of basketball shoes? I really need a new pair of basketball shoes. And I'd say, Elise, I would love to get you new basketball shoes. I can see why you would, you would want new ones. Actually, you probably need new ones, but you know what? We're saving our money for Disney. I can't buy you basketball shoes right now. And Elise would say, oh yeah, we're going to Disney. Sometimes I'd come home and Janet would say, this would be, oh, I'm sorry to play with that for you. Uh, Jana would say, this would be a great night to go out to eat. And I'd say, yeah, we, we could go out to eat tonight, but you know what? We are trying to save to go to Disney. And she'd say, yeah, you're right. You see, a future reality that we were looking forward to was helping us make decisions. It was waking us up in, in the present. Does that make sense? Paul's saying, friends, wake up. Jesus' return is coming soon. Remember that you have a debt it can't be paid. Remember, now is the time to wake up. And third, Paul says, clothe yourselves with Christ. Dress appropriately. When I was living at camp in the early days, I decided I needed a hobby, and some duck hunters came to camp. And they offered to take me out duck hunting one morning. So I'd love to go. I showed up in blue jeans, because that's what I had. They picked me up in the boat. Their dog was in the boat. We went out. I was having the time of my life. Flock of ducks came in. One of them in the boat. It wasn't me. Um, One of them shot the first duck. The dog entered the water, comes back to the boat, jump. They pull the dog back into the boat, runs right over to the guy in blue jeans, rubs up against me, shakes all over. I'm soaked, and I'm cold and miserable the rest of the morning. I was dressed inappropriately. I wasn't dressed for the occasion. Two weeks ago, when I was 15 below, I saw middle schoolers outside without coats. Like, that's not right. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? It's obvious. When we're not dressed appropriately, it's easy to recognize. But normally, before we put on new clothes or fresh clothes, we, we, have to, we have to change clothes, right? We have to remove other clothes. That's what Paul's talking about here. He, he talks about casting off some clothes and putting on others. He wrote to the Ephesians, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and it's corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness. He wrote the Colossians in chapter three, but now put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And if we had backed up, if I'd given you a little runway before I I read our scripture this morning, I could have talked about this a little bit more, but Paul writes, he writes this to those who've believed and are saved. This This is written to people who have been redeemed by Christ. They're the ones he's talking to here. I want to be clear. Our standing with God isn't dependent on how we live. Our standing with the Lord is dependent on how Christ lived. And we put on his clothes, and we get to wear the clothing that he has given to us. Scripture says, as many as you have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And Paul wants to, he just wants to make that's the focal point of everything we do. Because we are part of this family, then we, Paul's saying like, then act accordingly. I'm going to do something really risky here. Um, I weighed this on the way over here. If I was going to, should I do it? Ah, but I feel like I've been here long enough. You, you know me a little bit, and so I'm going to step out on a limb. I'm going to use a Minnesota Vikings reference here. I have to go back nearly 50 years. In the 70s, the Vikings had a a defensive line known as the Purple People Eaters. Of all the great defensive lines in the history of the NFL, they're the only four who are still living, and they have incredible stories to tell. Back in the 70s, during their Super Bowl years, (laughs) I realize you can't relate. I understand. We've, we've waited a long time, but in those, in those days when you watched a football game on TV, it wasn't like now where there were roving sideline reporters and so forth and you had an inside look into the game. But I remember one of the very first times that the, the TV cameras went to the sidelines before the game. The, the Minnesota Vikings captain, his name is Jim Marshall. Many people think he ought to be in the Hall of Fame as well. He was a captain, and he, held, he, he, he had a responsibility on the team. In fact, the Vikings head coach, Bud Grant, said he never had to discipline the team because Jim Marshall would take care of it. He owned a voice that was respected and so forth. And he w- huddled up the team before they went on the field, and they had a cheer. And I remember it as a, as a kid because I'd never seen what happens in the huddle beforehand. Jim Marshall gathered everybody up, And he yelled at the team, he said, Vikings. And the whole team yelled back, Tackle. And he said, Vikings. The whole team responded, Compete. Jim Marshall said, Vikings. The team yelled back, Win. Vikings tackle, compete, and win. They do those things because they're on the team. Me saying those things doesn't get me on the team. It was for people who were on the team. Paul is saying these things. Friends, love one another. Wake up. Wear appropriate clothes. He's saying that to people who are on the team. There's a cheer for us. And it seems to me, the more that we do that, the more it's going to help us live in this world that seems darker at times, colder. When we have questions, it's going to help us. And the other thing is this. Not only does it help us, but it warms the world around us as well. And our world needs that. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you promise that your word does its work. Lord, thank you so much that our standing with you does not depend on my performance. But because of what you've done for me, you've called me a member of your family. You've called me your child. We get to be on your team. So I thank you for the call. Help me to walk in it, I pray, that the world might know that you are God. Amen.